Well, welcome back to Waking the Red Weekly, presented by Footy Talks. After a week off, we return today to recap the MLS's back tournament. And of course, as we all predicted, the Portland Timbers are your champions. And uh, in just a few minutes here, we'll break down the tournament final and more with James Grossi of MLSsoccer.com. As always, feel free to join the conversation either here or in the Zoom live chats or, of course, on Facebook as well. Wherever you're watching today, uh, we'll take your questions. But first, my name is Mitchell Tierney, Waking the Red editor, and uh, joined, as always, by my guys, Jeff Nesker. How are you doing, Jeff? Pretty good, pretty good. Rocking the FC Basel. Just because we lost 4-1 yesterday doesn't mean I can't wear the kit. Adding adding an extra star to the uh, the show here. We have two for Jeff here now. And uh, Mike, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, Mitch. Uh, happy to be back, you know, talking about some some footy. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the week off felt long and, and a lot happened, but we'll be here to uh, to recap that that for you, as I said. Uh, but before we get James Grassi on here, here in a, a moment, uh, I just want to get your guys' thoughts now that MLS is back is no longer back, I guess. <laughs> I wanted to wanted to see what you guys thought about the, the tournament as a whole, and I guess your your big takeaways as um, you know we go back into the the season as a whole. Jeff, we'll we'll start with you. Um, did anybody else notice today the article that outlined how the uh, prize pool of cash was going to be split? Uh, it was a bit of a shock because uh, I was under the impression that the winner got all of the one point one million dollars, but it looks now that it's been split pretty well across the line. Uh, I don't remember the actual uh, numbers, but off of my memory, I think Portland gets 300K, uh, Orlando gets 150, and then it goes right down the line. TFC gets some. Uh, the only teams that don't get any money are the guys that uh, didn't win a single game at the tournament and FC Dallas and Nashville. I just thought that was surprising. It was a little bit of peak MLS for you. <laughs> yeah, just a little pro tip there, Jeff. Uh, mm. Anytime you hear prize money, they're going to group that all together and try and sell that as much as possible. So like if you hear um, like $1.1 million that teams are competing for, you know, they're going to throw that $1.1 million out there just for the selling point. Mm -hmm. But realistically it's going to be split up among like the top eight. So yeah, it's a little pro tip there. Just anytime you hear prize money in a competition, more than likely the winning team's not taking home that full, full prize. Hmm. So further to that, this wasn't the top eight teams though. This was just about everybody that showed up save for like Atlanta United and the two teams that had to go home, right? Would, yeah. you, would you say that's standard or is that? No, that, that, yeah, no, that's yeah. definitely pretty wild and okay. pretty cool, for, especially for MLS, you know, especially MLS players, they don't make that much money. So any, any little bit helps there, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of surprising for me as well. You know, that, that seemed like one of the selling points to winning the tournament, but I guess you've got the Champions League spot as well. Um, you know, what did you guys think of, of the final itself? And, you know, as, as I think I mentioned off the top, or at least alluded to, uh, the, the winner was pretty surprising. And, and the finalists, the runner-up was surprising as well, even if they were the host. Michael, we'll start with you on this. Uh, sorry, sorry, could you just repeat that one more time, Mitch? Yeah, no worries. Uh, just, just thoughts on the tournament final and, and two surprising, somewhat surprising finalists. Yeah, no, Orlando and Portland, who would have guessed at the start of the tournament that those would be the two teams that we would see facing off there. What a thrilling final. I'm sure a lot of people were, were looking forward to that. Um, but realistically, these were two of the teams that played really well from beginning to end of the tournament. Uh, maybe Orlando, they might have had that home field advantage and maybe they're used to that Orlando weather. Uh, and that's what pushed them to the final there. And Portland, obviously, they were able to come away with the victory. Uh, you know, it's, it's a a franchise that obviously has a lot of history in MLS 
and they're kind of looked over because you know it's it's Portland (laughs) sorry to all our listeners in Portland but uh, they're kind of looked over in, in major league soccer but year in year out I feel like they always put put like a solid team together a solid group together so it's good to see them come together and win this tournament yeah, I mean, uh, that guy Ruan's pretty fast, huh, on Orlando? He's, uh, he's a bit pacey. He's, uh, he's a pacey winger. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing that I kept circling back to is, is what Mike said. How much of a home field advantage does Orlando have uh, in terms of uh, being used to the weather, in terms of it being ostensibly uh, uh, they're the host for the tournament? I just wonder how much that factors in. Do you, do you think it factors in, Mitch? I, I think so, probably. I mean, the, the weather thing is one thing in, in terms of the, you know, just how comfortable you were. You didn't have to travel in to the tournament in the same way the other teams did. Um, yeah, I think there was certainly a level of, of comfortability and also a level of pride. You know, you're playing um, in your, your home city, home state. Um, so obviously, I think that's, that's very important to the club as well. So I thought um, certainly that probably factored into how well Orlando was able to do at this, this tournament um, you know, obviously Nani, I think was, was the star man. It was very impressive. And it's kind of funny. We were, we were talking, I was on a zoom chat with some friends going into this tournament, um, for the first game. And we were kind of chatting about how we weren't so sure about Orlando. We, um, you know, they, they never seemed to have an identity. Uh, it had been all these years since they came in and they, they just never seemed to figure it out. But this certainly has to be looked at as a big step forward for that, that franchise as a whole, doesn't it, Mike? Mm-hmm. Um, just heading into the tournament, it's kind of something they talked about. Uh, Nani was actually the first uh, press conference at the MLS's back tournament because Orlando kicked off the tournament, if we can remember, all the way back and it feels like, feels like an attorney, but just, <laughs> over, a month, just over a month ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was talking about how Orlando, you know, over the last five years, they've struggled and they've kind of – he didn't use the word laughing stock, but I'm going to use it. They've been a laughing stock of this league. Um, so for them to really have this push and come together and Nani said, Hey, this is what they wanted to do. They wanted to send the league a message and tell them that, that they're for real. And it, it was big for him to kind of lead the team and put the team kind of on his back there along with some two Canadians, which we'll shout out as well, you know, mm-hmm. Tesho and uh, Kamal Miller there. Um, yep. So it was great to see, you know, Orlando make that, that run to the to the final because they've had some good players they've had kaka they've had you know nani as well like they've had some good players come through that kyle organization aaron, yeah. kyle aaron shout out Tom dwyer know. i mean not at all but <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah no great 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 to see them make that push to the final yeah I, I wanted to circle back to uh to the home field advantage because i read an article that said the exact opposite thing for the maple leafs in terms of uh being the home side in the NHL bubble in Toronto. And, and, and the argument there was that every other team got to get on a bus and go to a hotel and bond, but the Leafs were at home. So that maybe they didn't have that, that uh, sort of team gelling experience that the other clubs that are coming into the bubble from, from another market would have had. Do you think there's any truth to that? I I wonder if it's jarring. The, the the difference here, of course, is the venue it's played at, right? Like, I wonder mm. if it was weird for the Maple Leafs that you know they're while they're playing in their home rink, they're not suiting up in their home dressing room. Um, a bunch of the facilities they usually have are being used by other teams. So I wonder if that um, that in some ways contributed to the the difference between the Maple Leafs being in their usual home spot versus Orlando being in a completely new 
a venue that probably they've they've maybe played preseason tournaments there before. I'm not entirely sure. I know uh, mm-hmm. that that venue has hosted preseason before, but never certainly playing competitive matches like like they did. Yep. Yep. Fair point. Well, it looks like we'll have we'll have James on in, in a moment here still, but. Um, I, I wanted to talk about what you guys think of the value of the tournament as a whole now that it's over. Um, certainly, we saw what it meant to Portland to, to win this competition. Maybe they're celebrating the, the fact that they can finally go home now um, <laughs> from the MLS's back bubble. But no, it did really seem to, to mean a lot to Portland, and it seemed to obviously mean a lot to Orlando that they lost that final. Um, so with, with hindsight being what it now is, and, and I know we'll probably get more perspective once whatever this Franken season uh, happens to be uh, ends, but what are your thoughts on, on the tournament's value and, and, you know, what it meant to the clubs to win this? Um, so I personally, I think it was an all-around win for, for Major League Soccer here. Um, we we kind of start off shaky there, obviously, with what, what happened with some of the incidents in regards to the COVID-19 testing, uh, some of the teams getting sent home. So it was kind of a shaky start, but they locked it down. The bubble after that, those kind of incidents showed no more positive cases. Um, And they were the first team, first North American men's team to, you know, get out of the, get out of the gate and really put on a show for, for fans in this kind of world cup style tournament. Which personally, I mean, we can talk a little bit more about this later, but I love the World Cup style tournament uh, in Major League Soccer. Me too, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I want to ask uh, Grassi about that, so we'll, we'll save talking about that for a little bit. But um, I think all around, just just a, an overall success for for MLS here at the MLS's back tournament. Yeah, I think I think Grassi's ready. I got a I got a note, but I'm not sure how to do it. So yeah, whenever. Uh... Wherever he's available, we can we can bring him in here, Kevin. Sure, but sure. Um, just quickly as we as we wait for him, um, I want to talk about the final itself and kind of the the feeling of finals because this is something I've noticed and um, something I've noticed in uh, it looks like James isn't quite ready, but something I've noticed in all major finals that I've watched so far. And there's there's only been a few obviously that have happened, NWSL um, as well as the the Premier Lacrosse League. Um, whereas everything else is kind of believable in the sports world, you know, I can get used to these, these games behind closed doors, no fans finals just feel kind of different. I mean, maybe it was the fact that the MLS is back was on a Tuesday, Mm -hmm. but there was something missing there for me. And there's been something missing in in every final I've watched so far in sports. They just, they just don't quite feel like a, like a final in the same way that, you know, all the other regular season or even, playoff games have kind of felt at least a little bit normal. I don't know if, if you have thoughts on this, Jeff. Well, I mean, it had enough dark arts gamesmanship for two regular finals. So, <laughs> you know, it, uh, it certainly um, felt like a final to me. I would, I would argue that um, Sebastian Blanco going toe to toe with Oscar in, in what was it? The first half that, that little dust up that they had uh, affected the game in a significant way. Um, you can't have the, the, uh, did he win the MVP or was it Nani? I'm I'm not sure. Did does anybody know yet? I don't think it's out yet. Okay, okay. But I mean to have the 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 uh, presumed tournament MVP get up in your face uh, during the run of play couldn't have been uh, uh, something that was easily shrugged off. So it felt like a final to me with respect to how much dark arts 
gamesmanship was going on, but but I agree with you. I mean, it's it's difficult to to um, it's difficult to fake that atmosphere. It's it's you know without the people there, and and there's think, no yeah there's no amount of laugh track that's going to do it. So. Yeah, I think Mitch kind of touched on this though. The with way that Portland celebrated after, you can tell it meant something for them. I mean. Mm-hmm. It's, they, they did win a, a championship spot and obviously a little little bit of cash there. But this was a unique situation where – an unprecedented situation where teams were all, you know, isolated in the bubble. This is an experience they all went through, an experience they're probably never going to forget for the rest of their lives, right? And to emerge as champions, to emerge as victorious, that, that's, that means something. I, I don't Maybe that's just me, but I think that means something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I certainly do too, and I, I think uh, I think James is finally ready to go here. But um, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's good to have good to have James on. Uh, maybe he'll steer us away from the conversation where we've added Portland uh, to the town of or to the group of uh, you know cities and states that don't really like us uh, <laughs> with that uh, that Iowa city that Tej <laughs> mentioned in the first show. But yeah, uh, yeah. James Grassi of MLSsoccer.com and, and CampBL.ca, thanks for joining us. No, it's my pleasure. It's nice to see all your faces, and uh, I gotta apologize for my lighting situation here. My uh, it's, it's my fantastic. ring light for TikTok is not uh not arrived yet. So we, uh, <laughs> next time will be better, I promise. <laughs> I know you're killing some stuff on TikTok, James. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my burner, man. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, James, we've been talking a little bit uh, off the top here about it, but I wanted to get your thoughts on on the MLS's back final and. Uh, I, I guess a bit on the tournament as a whole and, you know, what, what you, what your takeaways were. I, I sort of, I, I have a tendency with these tournaments to always burn myself out with the group stage and, and, you know, you're sitting in front of the television for several hours a night. And by the time the knockout rolls around, I'm sort of forgetting which night we have games and which <laughs> night we don't have games. But, you know, I, I think in the end, uh, you know, Portland sort of ruined the Cinderella story that was Orlando city's run in the magic kingdom for a, uh, for a trophy for that long beleaguered co- uh, club down mm-hmm. there, you know, I'm sure their long suffering fans really enjoyed uh, the show that they did put on for, th- for them. But uh, you know, in the end it's the Timbers that end up lifting that trophy. Uh, it was a pretty good game. It was nice and feisty, which was something going into this tournament. You know, none of us really knew exactly what it would mean to the various players. Uh, but, you know, we, we were sort of told that once the games got started, that those competitive juices would be flowing and, and we'd see some tasty tackles. And I think that that was about as good of a final as you can expect from uh, from a situation where we all find ourselves, where nobody quite knows what's around the corner and, and what's coming ahead. Uh, you know, Pereja and Orlando, they sort of, they've been, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of expansion teams come in over the last few years and, and do quite well and find their, hit their stride relatively relatively well. And Orlando was one of those last expansion teams that, that didn't do that. Uh, you know, we'll see how, how Inter-Miami gets on, uh, from their long losing streak as things progress. But, uh, you know, for Oscar Perea, a guy who knows this league really well, for him to, to put together that group and really get the best out of some of his players was uh, w- was pretty um, pretty impressive and also pretty promising for a group that, that really needs to find a way to to make their stamp on this league down there in Florida. You know, we saw Nanny looking, uh, looking about as well adjusted to the conditions in MLS as we've seen him. And I think that's probably a function of, you know, he's, He's been around the league now. He's more comfortable. He knows his team, and the team is set up to to really get get the most out of him. And you know, whenever you bring in a designated player like him, you're always a little uncertain of what you're going to get. And I think he showed his quality in this tournament, along with a guy like Chris Muller, who uh, 
who's been a pretty impressive uh, player since he since he joined in the draft a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, going into this tournament, a lot of the talk was about how the environment, you know, playing in front of no fans on a on a pitch in at the ESPN Wide World of Sports Complex in the Florida heat would sort of affect teams. And you know, you can say that maybe that gave Florida an advantage and helped them make the final, but I don't think that holds true for Portland necessarily. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not really sure what to make of that. And for the Timbers, you know, they emerged as a powerhouse uh, in their first couple of years in the league after after finding their way and winning that MLS Cup. And since then, they've sort of they've sort of been uh, you know treading water as a club. And to see Giovanni Savarisi and his guys sort of lift a trophy, uh, whatever that means at this point, is can only be good for them. We'll sort of have to see if they can carry that on to this uh, MLS returns portion of the calendar. And uh, it's always good when you have another team that's that's pushing to be part of that top tier. Are they actually calling it MLS Returns? Um, that's a good question. I have. I'm not I, I love to, it. <laughs> I'm not up to date on the <laughs> lingo as is, but uh, we will find out. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah. Um, MLS strikes back. Yeah, I was just about to say that. <laughs> um, what Lord are your th- of VAR. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts on on these restart plans, James? I don't know. It's pretty bold. You know, we're we're sort of. Um, I was on Don Garber's conference call the other day and, you know, we didn't seem to get much past the question of if the league decided to stop because of the situation at the time, what has changed that makes them think that now they can go forward? You know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a government body that decided that, that we shouldn't have professional sports. It was much more a function of the clubs themselves and the league itself deciding that uh, it wasn't worth taking the risk given where we are. And now Mm -hmm. six months on, do we, we maybe have a better understanding of what needs to be done, but I don't think we can say that we're, we're on the other side of that tunnel. And so why, why we stopped then versus why we started now is sort of, I, I don't fully understand it, to be honest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, especially the idea of even entertaining the thought of having fans in stadiums. That to me, that to me is, um, is, is dicey. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to see Garber was, was pretty clear that it's not a, it's not a blanket permission. It's not an if your state allows it, then you will be allowed to. Every team had to submit a plan on how they were going to do that safely, and, and the league would be responsible for approving that plan. And there was some confusion as to whether Dallas had had, had their plan approved or not. Mm. Um, so it, it's something we're going to have to watch. You know, we've seen, we've seen what happened in the USL. We've seen what's happened in baseball, where they tried to do this traveling roadshow thing. And, you know, given given – the number of players and teams involved and given the number of cases, you, you can make an argument that perhaps it, it is okay, but it's also pretty scary that it's not, it's not as effective as the bubble situation has been. Mm-hmm. We've seen, we've seen how, how good of a situation that can be for teams to, to all get based in one location and find a way to keep it safe uh, versus what happens otherwise. And so we're sort of dipping our toes out into that, into that unknown right now with this plan. Uh, we seem to have a bit of a bubble. Yeah, I was just about to say <laughs> in Harrison, New Jersey, and, and uh-huh. that to me seems like that would be the the most ideal plan. Would be have an East Coast bubble and a West Coast bubble, or have you know a couple of of hub cities for each conference where the players can be relatively isolated in those spaces. You can get the games together, and then if you need to take a week to pause, relocate some teams so you have different opposition, like. In these in these times, we need to be flexible and we need to be ready to adjust based on uh, based on on current events and what's sort of happening. You know, I, I wish them nothing but success, but uh, I'm a little bit anxious to see how it goes. 
it's also a, a, a big ask for the court of public opinion. I mean, Twitter today, just a, just a brief check of my timeline was rife with, you know, blue check marks basically saying, do not go to this Dallas game if you, if you like football. So um, it, it's, a, it's a pretty bold move for them to be making. And, uh, you know, the fact that, the, that the, the responsibility isn't resting anywhere, really, it's kind of like in flux and every team gets to sort of choose their own adventure. Um, it feels like a recipe for massive disaster to me. I'm, I'm just going to come out and say it. Um, and, you know, 2020, please, please, 2020, let's all play at Yankee Stadium. I mean, why not? It's, 20, it's 2020. Let's just, let's just turbo pitch it up for the rest of the season. Uh, I kind of want to see them play in like a big, massive NFL stadium and have the teams <laughs> with the lines playing. Have the team uh, lines or no lines doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Have the teams that are not playing in the various sections of the stadium, so you can pan over and see Michael Bradley watching a uh, Columbus Crew beat Red Bulls or something like that. I think that'd be fun. Sign me up, seriously. Yeah. Twenty-four sign, hour. Sign me up. Camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. And then they can play spike ball on the field like they're doing at, at BMO. It'll be, <laughs> yeah, it'll be amazing. Yeah, just set up some spike ball. It won't hurt the pitch at all. Get a reality show going there. I guess what surprises <laughs> yeah. me uh, is is like MLS is back. Like they had about as near a miss with like a full on pandemic cancellation as any tournaments had so far. So like, doesn't seem like they learned from that at all. Like they really. It seemed pretty touch and go for a while whether this would actually happen. So uh, I don't know. This this restart plan to me seems pretty risky and and kind of surprising, especially coming from MLS. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I guess it's one of those things of of are things ever going to be perfect? You know, is the situation ever going to return to the point where we're not thinking about this sort of thing again? And if that's the case, you know, how long do we wait? How long do we sort of as as flippant as it sort of sounds, like you only learn about your mistakes in retrospect. And mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. let's hope this isn't too big of a mistake and that everyone's everyone's safe and, and we find a way to do it properly. But yeah, there's uh there's gonna be some sleepless nights for a lot of people these next couple of weeks as we yeah. as we see how this works. Indeed. Yeah, James, I what I wanted to talk about a little bit was uh kind of t- touching back on the MLS's back tournament. We spoke a li- little bit about it before you got on. But what are your thoughts on making this event an annual event? Because, you know, it's, it's a unique, it's a world-style cup competition. MLS is looking for some selling points. Is this one of them? Uh, I think it could be, but you'd have to do it right. You know, I think when I look at this World Cup format and how it sort of played out, let's say you wanted to make it a preseason tournament, which sort of makes the most sense for the calendar. You know, you have your all-star game festivities in, in mid-season and you have, you know, your open cup and, and your super Liga or whatever we're calling it these days. And the Campiones cup, you have the, the schedule is pretty packed in the middle of the year. And then you have your MLS cup playoffs, which are, are becoming a pretty solid treat at the end of the year. So I think if you looked at this as a preseason tournament, it's definitely something you could consider. I think my concern would be, you can't have a team have three group stage games and then not play for four weeks heading into the start of the season. Mm -hmm. And so you'd have to find some way of making the group stage bigger and making the knockout stage smaller. So if you had some sort of a, maybe not a full group where everybody plays everybody once for East and West, and then the top two went on to a semifinal and a final, and then you knock that out on a midweek and a weekend. And then the following weekend, every team's back in league action. Then for a team that doesn't make it to the knockout stage, you've still had your, let's say, seven or eight games over the preceding month, and then you're only off for about two weeks before you start the season. You, 
you couldn't use it as a build into the season if you were going to get knocked out in the group stage and not play for a month. So I don't think we could do the, the proper sort of round of 16, quarterfinal, semifinal, final format. But it's definitely interesting. And I think, I think we've seen in this that, that those competitive juices that I mentioned that the players get once you start getting into games that mean something um, really do come out. And we saw some pretty good football over the course of this. And, you know, as you said, the league is always looking for ways to sort of add some importance to things or to, to catch the attention. And I think, I think kicking off the season with a little tournament like this would be a, a pretty neat way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Is, is, there, is there time? I mean, five weeks, I, it's a pretty packed schedule in, 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 in real, you know, pre COVID life. Is there, I mean, imagine if the team's also playing in the CCL, like where do they fit these fixtures in? Well, I think you'd be looking at playing only in warm weather locations and you'd be starting in like February, if not the end of January. And like, the MLS offseason, if, if MLS Cup is going to be around the first 10 days of November, you know, Michael Bradley will tell you that that two months off is way too much time for a footballer. They want to be playing as much as they can. And so, you know, if you get together for preseason with your group uh, in the start of the new year and then a couple of weeks later you find yourself in Florida or in California or in Arizona to get this tournament started, I think – I think it it would actually be nice in the sense that over the course of the year, a club is going to have, you know, a guaranteed 40, 50 games versus mm-hmm. the 34 or so that you're guaranteed now. And, and that just gives more players a chance to see the pitch and, and teams more time to develop. And, you know, you mentioned the CONCACAF Champions League. One of the problems always yeah, in these yeah. games is that they're not ready by the time that comes around. And, you know, inadvertently, this could be the solution for that. If you're done with your MLS – preseason cup fest, whatever we're going to call it. Call it MLS uh, is back. It makes no sense, but let's just call it MLS is back. Whatever. Hey, it yeah. will be back from whatever break it has taken. Exactly. Somebody. Like, yeah, that, that's, that's good by me. And and then you build yourself into the CONCACAF Champions League. I think that could be a two birds with one stone sort of situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mike, you had something? Uh, I was just going to say, James made a really good point when he said uh, maybe that we could cut uh, some of the teams that are advancing off at maybe like four, maybe put a cap on it, sit at eight. Um, but th- I thought it was really odd that 16 out of the 23 teams competing in the, in the group stage tournament actually advanced on to the, mm-hmm. the knockout round. So I figured, you know, that is an easy solution, kind of narrowed down the people who are advancing. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm all on board, as you guys know. I made that clear. That I love this, this tournament style. What would the prize be, Mike? Uh, or James or anybody like I mean I don't think a CCL well, birth would I, be viable, right? I think it's pretty clear it needs to be Gam or Tam or Ham or whatever, whatever Ham is going around at that yeah. point. I, you could find a lot of different ways. It could be a straight up cash prize, you know, for the yeah. players. You win Carlos Vela. Yeah. <laughs> that trophy yeah. was pretty nice, eh? The trophy was nice. Maybe an extra DP spot, an extra yeah. Tam spot, you know? Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. No, this possibilities are endless. An extra DP would be really interesting. <laughs> because imagine, imagine you win it like three years in a row, and you're you're fielding like a starting eleven. Oh, it's it would it would DP. only be for it would only be for eight months. <laughs> your accountant would have to figure out how in the world that happen. <laughs> there would be some creative loans happening. Oh no, my like that. It would be goodness. fascinating. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Mike, I think you should go next because my my second question is kind of a, a wrap. But let's do it. Um, you touched on this a little bit, James, and I want to hear more about this because I'm all for this. 
what are your thoughts on, on Toronto FC loaning Julian Dunn to the Canadian Premier League and some of their under, other youngsters to the Canadian Premier League? No, it, it had to happen. I mean, um, you know, when it was announced that, that there was no way that TFC2 were going to be able to fulfill their USL League One commitments this season, it was, uh, you know, a lot of players were very much in limbo as to what the year was, was going to look like for them. And, you know, what you want as a young player, especially guys that are at this sort of, on this sort of cusp of making it, is that is that you need to see some some progress every year. It's not always going to be linear progress. It's not always going to be a straight rise, but you need those experiences and you can't waste, you know, soccer, professional soccer is a pretty short career and you can't afford to waste 12 months the way that, the way that this potentially could have been for some of those guys. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, when it comes to, to where the guys landed, like I, I sort of wish that we had seen a little bit more, you know, you look at a guy like Jordan Peruzza, you look at a guy like Matt Serbel, those are two guys that I think really would have benefited both from being somewhere else and getting those minutes and, and would have been an asset to whatever club it was that managed to bring them in. But, you know, given the circumstances and the uncertainty and the, and the time crunch that we were sort of in, it, it makes sense that, that, you know, they did as much as they could with the time, with the time at hand. For me, loans are always sort of tricky because it, it has to be the right fit for, for both the player and for both of the clubs. You know, we saw Robert Boscovich and Sean Hundle at Ottawa last season and, and neither one really saw a whole lot of playing time. And, and you know, I don't, I don't think that the ties between the Ottawa Fury back then and Toronto FC were particularly strong. There's no sort of coaches that have, have crossed paths. And I think that's a particularly important point. Or mm-hmm. part two alone is that there's some personal reason why that is the good fit for the guy. Um, and so, you know, we'll, we'll sort of see how each of them fit. When I look at the teams, and, and I'm preparing for the CPL season to start, so I'm sort of familiarizing myself with where everybody stands, you know. Julian Dunn and Dante Campbell going to Valor to work, to work with Rob Gale, a guy who they've worked with at the youth national teams before, I, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. Uh, they're, they're good fits. You know, they lost some, some key defenders, and they lost some, some key pieces in the midfield. And so, you know, in, in Julian Dunn, a, a big center back that, that – you know, can do a job at this level. They're getting a guy that can step right in and produce for them. And in Dante Campbell, they get they get an energetic guy that that's going to put in a shift for you wherever it is that that you put him on the field, whether it's in the middle of the park or at right back. We've seen him do both jobs, and so I expect that to be a pretty good fit. Um, you know, you look at Tariq Mohammed in Edmonton. Um, you know, Jeff Paulus is a guy that will love the sort of edge that Tariq plays the game with. And, and I know it's something that Tariq has been working on, sort of uh, finding a way to throttle himself and use that to fuel only good things in the game and not just get himself sent off or carded. But <laughs> I would not be I would not be surprised if he gets sent off at some point in this little <laughs> experiment that we're having. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think he'll fit nicely with, with the sort of energetic football that, that Jeff Paulus likes to play there in Edmonton. And then you know, Robert Boscovich in, in Calgary with with, uh, with Tommy Wielden and, and those guys, he's, he's the perfect fit. You know, I had, a, I had a bit of a debate with some friends last year about whether Joel Waterman or Dominic Sator was the better defensive prospect coming out of that Calgary back line. And, you know, while Zator did a lot more stuff that got you the headlines, you know, Waterman, as, as I think Montreal noticing what he did and, and bringing him to the MLS level was just – he just never put a foot wrong. He kept the game in front of him and he put out fires before they happened. And that's exactly the kind of player that they're getting in Boscovich. Just a, just a calm center back who doesn't do any of the flashy stuff, just, you know, keeps everything in front of him and, and starts attacks with, with sensible passes. And that's, that's sort of what you want from a defender uh, in these games. And so I think he's going to be a really nice fit right there. 
Um, and, and in the big picture, you know, I, I think on the whole, it's just good for Canadian soccer that, that all of our best prospects are getting a chance to play and that, mm-hmm. that those ties between clubs are being forged, you know, like not to make a Hamilton joke, but, um, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's, it, I think it was one of the obstacles to last year is when you look at the TFC staff or the Montreal Impact staff or the Vancouver Whitecaps staff, there were, in the past, there hasn't been a lot of ties between the Canadian soccer coaching world and, and those various staffs. And as we've seen the academies build up over the years, those, those ties are really coming along nicely. And so to have these sort of preliminary steps to ensuring that the CPL clubs and, and the bigger MLS clubs are, are interwoven and are working together and are communicating with each other is just, is great. And I was joking with some friends the other day about, uh, you know, having some sort of a coaches round table where you get all the Canadian coaches of all the clubs sort of in one place just to talk about the development of the game. And I think it'd be fascinating for us to sort of uh, hear what they had to say and see the different points of view, but also to uh, sort of foster some of those ties. These guys don't get a lot of free time to have phone calls to people that they don't particularly know. So Mm -hmm. just get everybody in the room together and we'll sort of see uh, what can be born out of that. Definitely. Um, you kind of said it there, but does does it say something about the Canadian Premier League that Toronto FC only loaned out three of their players to to the league? Um, no, I think I think it you could interpret it as that, but I I tend to be optimistic about these things, and so I would see it more as you know how many weeks did we have between the decision that TFC two wouldn't be playing in USL and CPL figuring out exactly sort of what their Island games plan was. And, you know, a lot of teams had done a lot of work on their rosters already and there weren't a ton of spots. Like you're talking about, you know, some 25 guys on that TFC two squad and finding a home for every single one on such short notice was always going to be a little bit tricky. You know, maybe, maybe CPL could have done something where they opened up the rosters a little bit and gave guys a little bit more spots, but, but they're they're interested in developing their own players as well. You know, we have mm-hmm. the under twenty one rule again, and and uh, so I, I think given the circumstances, given the time crunch, and given all the uncertainty around everything, I, I think getting getting three or four players places to play is uh, you got to look at it as as a success, no matter how limited it is. Yeah, I think there's a there's a natural resistance as well from from KPL teams to not look like you know Toronto FC two right like. We know that was a thing at the start of the league. Toronto FC wanted to put TFC2 or, or some version of that in the CanPL, and basically that, that didn't work out. And uh, the, the natural fit, I think, would be York 9 and Toronto FC to, to work out a player loan. But York 9's made it pretty clear that, you know, they kind of want to compete with Toronto FC for some of these players. And they've already poached a few kids from TFC Academy um, mm-hmm. to join their ranks. And obviously they have Telfer as well. So, uh, I think I think it has more to do with that maybe than it does you know Toronto FC not wanting their players at that level because I do think it it would be a very decent level for them certainly in terms of the minutes you're getting um, in a professional setting. Uh, but James, just just before we let you go, I did want to get your biggest takeaways here for from Toronto FC for this tournament. What are you um, what are you thinking about, and what, what do you think is key for the club going into the rest of whatever the season looks like? We're not entirely sure what that is yet, but. Um, in, in our best understanding of what uh, MLS returns will be. Well, it looks like New Jersey's in their future, but we haven't gotten anything <laughs> official on that. So That's a tough break. Right? <laughs> I, I wish them nothing but luck. I hear lovely things about the city of Harrison, but I've never been myself. 
I think the biggest takeaway uh, from the MLS's back tournament was that th there's a lot of work to still be done with this team. You know, um, we sort of, it sort of got overshadowed by the run to the MLS Cup final last year, but, but there was quite a bit of evolution in the side last year between, you know, bringing Pozuelo in, losing Jovinko and, and, um, and Victor Vasquez and sort of what that means to the overhaul of the team. What, uh, what Michael Bradley and Josie Altidore, how, how, how the next few years are going to work out, what, what the scope of things is. And it's always difficult to, to evolve a club while you're in the middle of events. And so I think what this tournament showed us was that there's a lot of work to still be done. You know, a tournament format is never the best means of evaluating success over a long term. You know, mm -hmm. we saw TFC and Seattle, two teams that have sort of been there in the end, the last couple of seasons for the most part, not, not reach the heights in this format. And, you know, that says something about the difference between a, a one-off match and the sort of events over the course of a long year and, and how important it is to build over the course of that year. But, we also saw some real glimpses of quality. You know, Ayo Akinola is a guy that we've been waiting to see him mm -hmm. him sort of cut his teeth for a while. And, and we'd seen little bits, little flourishes of it, of his potential with TFC2 and with the U.S. Uh, junior national team. And, uh, you know, he came up pretty big in this tournament. You know, the the potential trio of Pablo Piatti and Pozuelo and Auro, the potential of those three sort of working together and really forming a, a valuable partnership up that flank is is very promising, but I don't know what we should expect after, you know, a couple of months of training when it comes to how that's going to really flush itself out. And I think, I think if anything, we've sort of learned how underrated or under the radar Aro has been as a player. You know, he's a guy that comes in with a, a fantastic pedigree and, you know, maybe in the past he just did a solid job and I think he's a guy that's got a lot more to give. But at the same time, we saw a lot of the same old problems that we've seen with TFC. We saw some bad starts. We saw some bad finishes. We saw some really bad goals be conceded and we saw just too many goals allowed. And so it's a, it's a work in progress. And, you know, I think, I think Greg Vanny himself would tell you that, that he wasn't pleased with how, with how that tournament ended for them. He thinks that they, he would have thought that they had a lot more to give uh, given the circumstances, perhaps it's understandable that, uh, that it wasn't their best foot forward, but uh, what any of this means for whatever MLS returns will end up being, we'll just have to sort of wait and see. Uh, we got a we got a question on Facebook, and I think maybe we should keep Grassi here for this one because uh, sure. I think I'm contractually uh, not allowed to talk about Michael Bradley two episodes in a row. Um, <laughs> but the the question was, will Vanny actually sub Bradley off in a game this uh, this season? That's a tough one. It's a tough one because you know we all, we all want to see Liam Frazier get his minutes. And we all want to see what that looks like. And we all want want to see Michael Bradley fresh. I think, you know, that first match against DC United, we saw Michael Bradley that we probably haven't seen in, in a couple of years in terms of the impact that he has on this team on that pitch and the way that mm -hmm. he can still dominate a game on his day. You know, I think maybe later in the tournament, we saw sort of what the effect of not having played a game in six or eight months sort of, sort of does to a player that had put in 270 minutes over the course of 10 or 11 days. Um, and, and so for the club, you'd like to think that, that there are options there besides him. Um, the question becomes what did TFC look like without having Bradley there? Because a lot of this system revolves around him. A lot of players, their first inclination when they get on the ball in, in Toronto's half of the field is to find where Michael is and to get mm -hmm. that started. And so, you know, much though we all believe in Liam Frazier and, and all that sort of thing, 
it, you, you don't just sort of switch on a dime for these kind of things. And if Toronto has trained with having Michael be the key man there, then it's, it's asking a lot to sort of pivot from that point immediately. And, and also, do you really want to have your DP not on the pitch? Like that's a, another factor to be considered. So, you know, one of the things that we're going to be watching over this next couple of years is sort of what the future holds for Michael Bradley, what the future holds for Josie Altidore and how that evolution of the club continues. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't that long ago that, you know, TFC mm. were the, uh, were the, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Laughingstock Orlando. Yeah. Worst you team in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Danny Kuberman's approved worst team in the world. Um, <laughs> it wasn't that long ago and, and it's easy to forget with all the success that has been had over the couple of years, what it took to get there. And so, you know, you're right off the contributions of a guy like Bradley at your peril. And so we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Do you really want to burn a sub on a central midfielder, though? I don't know if that's really the, the <laughs> impact you want to have. You know, if Vanny did that, people would be like, oh, they needed fresh legs on the wing. So, yeah, yeah. It's a we'll thankless see. job. The gaffer's yeah. got a thankless job, that's for sure. <laughs> Very Absolutely. much so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But uh, thank you so much, James, for joining us. Um, as you said, looking forward to seeing what the future holds as MLS returns, whatever that will mean for Toronto FC, whether that's in New Jersey or some pseudo-Canadian tournament or whatever happens over the next couple of weeks. Um, certainly keep an eye on James's work as always. Um, you know, one of the, the smartest people, I think, within Canadian soccer. So thanks again, James. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, I'm always there for the compliments, man. <laughs> of course and I'll, I'll keep on dishing them out um yeah, absolutely but guys just as we uh as we wrap up this show and of course thanks again to to james for joining us i wanted to just talk about um probably one of the biggest stories over the summer for for canadian soccer and that's jonathan david's future um announced officially yesterday that he's moving to lille in france liga now Jeff, I'm going to put you on the spot because oh, when this no. initially got rumored, you said that you felt that this was a lateral move for Jonathan David. Do you still feel that? And well, what are your I'm, thoughts on the move? I mean, uh, I know he's my, – my issue was more with Leeds when Leeds was thrown out because I think right. a, a striker looking to put themselves in the shop window, despite uh, Bielsa, doesn't go to a team that just got promoted. Uh, that is going to play bunker ball and smartly so. So, so my worry was uh, was him going to Leeds might have been too early. In terms of Lille, um, you know, reading a bit more about it and and understanding the coach's philosophy, but also understanding that Arsenal is probably the first number on their list when they sell on players. I'm pretty happy with the move if I'm being <laughs> honest. Um, yeah, uh, you know. Ligon has a gets a short shift here because unless you've got a subscription to be in ultimate or whatever, you're not watching it legally. So I, I think, uh, you know, I think it's going to get a lot more eyeballs onto Ligon. Uh, it's certainly a lateral move in terms of distance. I think the two grounds are 80 kilometers away from each other. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, they speak, they speak one of the languages he speaks. So it's not like Fonzie going to Germany and, and also not being able to speak the language. Um, but I think all in all, it's, it's a positive move. I mean, he's super excited about it and he gets to wear the number nine. So what, what, what's there to complain about really? Yeah. And he has a lot of, uh, a lot of young up and coming support there alongside him. I think it was, uh, I mean, Jordan did a great article on this for our site. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think he mentioned that Renato Sanchez is on that, on that squad. Um, 
I forget who else is on there. I think uh, Santi Gomez, the the Man United uh, young, young, he was a young prodigy. I don't want to call him that anymore because um, he's no longer with Man United. So screw that. <laughs> um, yeah, Angel Gomez there. He's he's with uh, Lily as well. Um, he just made the transfer over, but I think he was loaned out. Um, so yeah, he, they're joining a, a very exciting, you know, up and coming core. So. Uh, We'll see. Well, that's a, that's a team to watch over the next couple of years because they can they can be an exciting team to you know root for. Yeah, definitely. yeah, definitely. I think this is an exciting move for him, as, as you've said, for a lot of reasons. Good young team, um, solid league, and and a team with a proven track record of of moving players on. And for me, this just kind of demonstrates the intelligence of Jonathan David. We know the clubs he was linked to. We know the clubs his agent were talk was talking to. Look, at this at this point, he's not starting for Manchester United. He's not starting for Arsenal. He's probably not getting much game time for either of them. He got the number nine at Lille, and they yeah. paid the most anyone's ever paid for a Canadian player. So clear signs that they want this player, that they have big plans for this player. Uh, so I think very smart from Jonathan David. Absolutely. And I, I think this is going to end up being a great move for Lille because I have all the confidence in the world in this player. And... Um, you know, he basically hasn't put a foot wrong since he's he's gone to Europe, which is incredibly difficult for a Canadian player and something um, we've almost never seen before. So very excited to see that and uh, excited to, you know, have our show back. This is yeah, yeah. great to return. And uh, <laughs> again, we don't exactly know what the rest of MLS will look like, um, but maybe we'll get an update tomorrow at yeah. 1230 on Footy Talks Weekly. They're being joined by Ali Curtis. So uh, you're going to want to tune into that. You'll you'll, you'll get some insight for sure into uh, his thoughts on how the MLS's back tournament went. And of course, where we go from here, you can join the Zoom audience and ask questions by heading over to homestandsports.com. Uh, thanks again to both of you. Uh, another great show in the books. Thanks again to James Grossi for all of his insights. Uh, Sophia and Kevin for putting the show together. And of course, as always, all of you for listening and watching. We really appreciate everything and see you all next Tuesday. Ciao. Ciao, ciao.